Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hey everybody, we're jumping in here today. Uh, it is Ray and I on the podcast and we are doing just like a little fun bonus episode. Uh, we decided that each of us would be doing kind of one on something that we are excited about and you know, maybe we've not covered in the podcast and we're not quite ready to, to flush it all out. But it's just something that intrigues us, excites us, you know, uh, gives us something to think about. So you'll be hearing these from time to time. And uh, hopefully it's just something that makes you smile, maybe makes you think a little bit or uh, sends you down a, a rabbit hole, which I think is what happens to me when I hear episodes like this. But I won't care on too long because uh, Ray is our uh, main focus today and he's got some cool stuff and I'm excited to hear about all the fun things he's talking about. Yeah, we kind of wanted to visit with you guys today uh, instead of completely skipping uh, episodes during the holiday season or just after the holiday season. In this case, we wanted to go ahead and do some shorter episodes and get those in, you know, around the 20 minute mark, uh, and just talk about, uh, some more personal topics, uh, professional and personal topics, some special interest topics, but that, that's what today's all about. But more specifically, what today is about for me is thinking back on some of my personal experiences growing up and professional experiences when I was an agent in the eastern part of the state here in Kentucky. Uh, the county that I'm in now, it's interesting, the county that I'm in now in the central part of Kentucky is the least forested county in the state of Kentucky. Uh, not a lot of continuous tracts of woodland here in Bourbon County, Kentucky, but uh, one of my former counties that I was in as a, a extension agent here in Kentucky was Floyd County, which is in the eastern foothills of the state, and it was 83-84% forested, so obviously forestry there and forestry-related topics was a huge issue for us. Uh, having forest land cover so much of the total land in the county and in the state of Kentucky, I guess almost almost half of the state of Kentucky is forested. I think it's like 48, a little over 48 percent. And forestry is a huge industry in Kentucky. It's, I think 2016, 2017 numbers were like $13 billion, just a massive industry. Uh, so obviously forestry was an important part of my job there. And I worked uh, within that topic. But as a side shoot off of that topic, I also did special programming in non-timber forestry products, and not to complicate matters, but basically that was anything that related to forestry or silviculture. Sometimes we call forestry silviculture related activities, but it was anything forestry related that was not uh, directly related to the sale of timber. Hmm. Uh, that's a well-established industry here in Kentucky and a big industry, but there's all these other products that you can that can come from the woods or you can derive from woodlands that doesn't have anything to do with that. Once again, I'm going to draw on some of my kind of personal experiences with these products. Uh, and there's lots of products out there, and I'm not going to try to do it today in 20 <laughs> so minutes many, cover. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many. But uh, today I'm not going to try to cover every single product. But one example that I'll throw out there that a lot of times we forget about when we were growing up, we sold a lot of firewood as a supplemental income because uh, it seems like, and we and I worked with in my job, uh, my professional experiences, I worked with people that had firewood businesses that would either deliver 
sell and deliver firewood or have people come pick up the firewood or they would sell firewood for like campfires and they would sell that to vendors that then would sell that to, you know, consumers. Mm -hmm. But that's something we don't often think about. That's not necessarily a, a pure timber product. But firewood is one of those things that is pretty common in the East. We still have a lot of folks that burn firewood, but it was a pretty good product for us growing up on the farm. Uh, Our farm had a lot of timberland, and so we sold a lot of firewood, and it was a great product for us. And it's a good activity if you're doing uh, timber stand improvement activities. That means you usually have a lot of low-quality trees on your property that's never going to make good timber. And one of the things that you can do with those, when you thin them out, you have to figure out kind of what to do with that material. You can't obviously, if you have a large uh, woodlot, you can't burn all of that wood uh, realistically yourself. So what do you do with it? And one of the things that we did with it was we would um, cut that wood for firewood. We would split it up and we would store it. But that that's an example uh, that I can think of in the past do you, as a non-timber forestry product. Do you think that that has changed with kind of the introduction of all these invasive species that we see the, you know, like the emerald ash borer, they were all saying mm-hmm. burn it where you buy it kind of thing, which, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're buying it to go camping um, or you're just buying it from your neighbor for your, for your house, then obviously it's not a big deal, but there's, there's lots of regulations yeah on that and you have to be very aware of that in fact you have to use some i mean if you have ash and it has a known problem with an invasive species like the ash borer you have to use that in the same general area you can't transport it outside of the area you have to use it in place in the same area that it comes from so yeah those are issues now though now there's ways uh, for big commercial producers that are in mm-hmm. other parts of the country they may be doing this on a large scale there's some kiln drying operations mm-hmm. that you can certify that that wood is insect free there's some things that you can do but that usually only applies to applies to the big producers yeah of those products uh, but yeah there's some special regulations and you'll find I'll mention several times during our brief conversation today that if you have any regulatory related questions, always call the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. It usually always goes back to them when it's a regulation based question. So just kind of keep that in mind, Kentucky Department of Agriculture. If you have questions and you're doing something like selling firewood and you're wondering if something is regulated in your area, give them a call. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Office of uh, State Entomologist Office handles a lot of mm-hmm. stuff there through KDA. They're on UK's campus, but uh, they're really awesome people. Uh, yeah, and they're really very helpful, knowledgeable. So. And they work hand in hand with uh, the, the actual regulators at KDA, and, mm-hmm. and they can they can help you out or refer you to the specific office that mm-hmm. that can help you out. But that's one example of a non-timber forestry Builds product. character for young boys out in the wilderness. Oh, huh? <laughs> let me tell you what, Alexis. My father uh, said, you know, he told us that it, that it would build character as we split cords and cords and cords of firewood by hand. Uh, but it's weird that when my brother, my older brother and I went away to school that he got a pneumatic wood split. Hmm, <laughs> interesting. He got a round beller. We used to do square bell hay and he got a uh-huh. round beller and he got a wood splitter when uh, his free labor went to college uh, <laughs> in the form of my brother and I. So, yeah, it's funny how that works. Yeah. What, your he, younger brother wasn't punished the way you were? No, he he came later. So he lucked out of that whole thing somehow. 
for the most part. He did a little bit of that, but not commercially like we were just splitting truckloads and truckloads of wood. <laughs> but yeah, it's a character building, all right, and it toughens up your hands a whole lot. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an interesting um, endeavor for sure, but it's good cardio. Uh, builds muscle, go. that's for sure. There you go. Another thing uh, I guess I was involved with, and it kind of goes along right along with firewood, if you're improving your timber stand, if you have a wood lot. And I had about 60 acres when I lived, 60, 70 acres of woodland personally. Uh, and one of the things that I did with non-timber forestry products is I had a, a small-scale uh, shiitake operation where I cool. grew shiitake uh, mushrooms where you would fresh cut logs, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they can't be dead standing. They have to be, you know, in good shape, bark intact. And you cut those and around late February, early March, and then you inoculate those with commercially available mushroom spawn. And here in the state, we uh, have a lot of publications in extension mm-hmm. on small scale shiitake operations using natural logs. That's some of the keywords you you would look up, Kentucky shiitake mushroom production natural logs because there's different uh, commercial commercially available ways mm-hmm. of growing mushrooms but uh, this specific one was very suitable for what I was doing because as I was doing timber stand improvement I had lots of small oak trees that I was thinning out and some of those uh, were split up with fire you know into firewood but others were smaller four to six inches in diameter so I'd cut those up into about 48 inch lengths and I would inoculate those, drill and go through this process of inoculating those and grow shiitake mushrooms. And those logs were good for several years. But that was a pretty good operation for me. And it was an interesting one because at the time there was a pretty good local market for shiitake mushrooms. And I think there still is. There's people still around the state of Kentucky that grow yeah. mushrooms. I don't know anybody in your area, Alexis, that does that sort of thing. Um, there's a few left around. Yeah, I, I there's a couple farms that'll do them as part of their CSA. We've got to mushroom growers at our farmer's market who are doing mm. more indoor mushroom production. So yeah, I don't no, think they're like- doing as many logs. I did logs uh, for the first time this year uh, and like for my own personal, and that was fun. We had a big tree come down in the front of our house and it was, it was a maple, which isn't the best for shiitake production, but it was, you know, down, there was kind of no choice. And so I thought, well, I I feel bad. This tree's down. And so we ended up and I've harvested from them already. Uh, That was really, yeah, that was in March. And I did a a pretty decent harvest off of um, the past, I guess last month or something like that. So I'm excited to see what happens in the springtime when their when their big flush comes out. But that was so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can do that on a personal scale with two or three logs. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, or you can do it on a larger scale. And there there's a system, you know, whereby mm-hmm. there's soak this soaking, and you know, you're on an eight week production cycle, and you produce three times a year. Or you can just let it naturally happen in the spring, one flush; in the fall, one flush. Mm-hmm. But it was an interesting fit for me because it was taking a way product that I was cutting out of my mm-hmm. wood lot and uh, using that. And it's small diameter logs. It's logs that you right. can typically move around and manage. Right. Now, you don't have, if you have a large chunk of wood, you can just drill it in place and leave it if it's in a shady location that, you know, where the humidity is high. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, that's that's a neat operation. I really enjoyed my time producing uh, mushrooms, and I worked with uh, local producers, two or three local producers at the time in the eastern part of the state that was growing those uh, for farmers markets. And I've worked with a couple in the central part of the state, mm-hmm. but it was a great operation. I really I really enjoyed it. It was a good product. I enjoyed the product personally. It was really good in noodles. Yeah, and you, can, <laughs> you know, make lots of yummy recipes. I, and I, I just love mushrooms. But mm-hmm. that's you actually going and 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 you know going through a cultivation process. Process for those mushrooms using non-timber forest products. Right, you're products. like farming them essentially. You yeah. Far- yeah, exactly, Alexis, farming them. But now it's there's also a longstanding tradition, at least where I come from, and I know all across the state and other states that surround us, of hunting and foraging mm-hmm. for wild mushrooms. Which mm-hmm. I always put a disclaimer in here. You know what really you're doing. To, you really <laughs> need to know what you're doing. If you are not an expert in that, I caution you because you can get yourself into trouble. But there are some mushrooms that are more distinct uh, that I think were popular where I grew up, like morels, for instance. Mm-hmm. There's a long step for personal consumption. A lot of families would hunt those. And, and you know, morels, uh, wild morels, when they're professionally foraged, are worth, they're a pretty pricey product. Mm-hmm. They're a great product. So that's, that's an example of a mushroom that doesn't lend itself well to like a farming operation. Mm-hmm. But you go out and hunt those things naturally, and they can be a pretty good product for you. But not, I was uh, talking with Alexis before we jumped on here today. One of the biggest themes uh, with everything that I'm going to tell you today, non-timber forestry products, is sustainability uh, mm-hmm. has to be built into everything you do when we're talking about all of these wild foraged products or these products that come out of woodlands. Uh, because it's so easy to over harvest something to the point to where right. you kind of damage the long-term availability of that product. And, and the classic example I'll give there is something like ginseng. Mm. Medicinal herbs are still a big business in Kentucky, wild grown medicinal herbs and uh, a highly regulated crop. It had to be highly regulated would be um, an example that would be ginseng where only certified buyers can purchase that and it needs to be harvested during a very specific season. And there's all these regulations in place to ensure the the long-term viability of that 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 native crop because right. it's very easy to over harvest that and you just kind of do away with it and we did harvest personally a lot of herbs growing up you know bloodroot ginseng golden seal sassafras leaves and you know ginseng and, and a few other things we did harvest those and my father was pretty good about only taking a percentage of the crop and we would not only harvest those off of our own property but you know we had lots of friends that you know lived around us that we mm-hmm. could you know get permission to go on their land and harvest some of these wild crops and then you go through this whole process of drying them down to the a specific level that's going to you know work for the buyer and then there were some wholesale buyers there that was couple of wholesale buyers mm-hmm. at the time that was around us and they would buy during specific times of the year. And we, I remember the smell of like bags and bags, these big bags of <laughs> sass, dried sassafras leaves. It smelled so good, like the best tea ever. Uh, we would take that to market or we'd take, you know, dried blood root. And uh-huh. I remember the color of that and the texture, but, uh, but we sold a lot of those crops, but you have to be very careful not to over harvest those. And if you have questions, you can call your local extension office. Uh, and if you want to know more about the regulations of something like ginseng, that's pretty darn specific, uh, call KDA. Uh, and we do have some information at, on would that you, at the university. But yeah. yeah would yeah. you say like what a good like rule of thumb, like if I see a, a stand of chicken of the woods mushrooms or something, if mm-hmm. I take a third of that whole stand, is that 
would you see that as sustainable or like kind of what's your rule of thumb? Well, in general, that's just, uh, you need to leave a percentage of whatever you're taking because it kind of goes to just common knowledge. Mushrooms are a little bit different since they're kind of the outward expression of the actual mushroom fungus, right? Fungus that's underground, but still you don't want to harvest 100% of, of anything because Mm. you're just basically going to, yeah, you're, that's how it spreads. And if you harvest all the top growth, the spreading mechanism of something like chicken of the woods, a mushroom, for example, it's not going to spread anymore and you're going to deplete it. So you need to know the specific crop, how much you can harvest, when you can harvest, and and you just don't over harvest if you want to have future harvest of that. And that's that's a common thread in non-timber forestry products. And, and I saw a lot of people get into trouble with that because you'll go into a wood lot and it'll be very productive with whatever you're harvesting whether it's grapevines or greenery or mushrooms or uh, whatever we're talking about, but it's just so easy to go in and clean everything out, then you're not going to have anything left for the future. So that's a common theme in non-timber forestry products is sustainability. And it's one you can't cheat on because the forestry environment, yeah, the forestry environment works as a complete ecosystem and it's a shady environment. So if you're talking about plants, they don't replenish quite as um, quickly as our sun-loving plants on average. So if you over-harvest them, it's really, really tough on They're much slower, plants. yeah. Yeah, they, they replenish slower. So you have to be cautious about that. But that's just some examples of non-timber forestry products. There's lots of others, like black walnuts. I consider mm. that a non-timber forestry product. So all the herbs, we mentioned that, but... Even things like berries, uh, uh, blackberries and raspberries, harvest a ton of those wild blackberries growing up. And I was an enterprising individual. Even as an (laughs) 11-year-old, I would go out and, and there was reclaimed strip mine areas that had lots of sunlight exposure. And just acres of blackberries. Yeah. Some raspberries, but acres of blackberries. And I harvested, I can't tell you, just gallons and gallons and gallons and <laughs> gallons every year. Uh, you know, when I was up until I was a middle teenage years uh, and sold those. And they sold very well because I don't know about you guys, but there's a big difference in cultivars of blackberries. <laughs> and wild blackberries have a specific place in my heart. Yeah, I love wild blackberries, but I there was I had access to acres, and it was to the point to where I, I would keep my paths open because you know this reclaimed fringes of a mined area that that joined part of our prop that was on our property. It was an old reclaimed mine area that had good sun exposure, but it started to all grow up. It yeah. went through succession, and you couldn't get through there. And I was like, I can't let that happen. So I had little <laughs> paths that I kept mowed yeah. down. But that was a non-timber forestry product, berries, and I did a just very kind of crude management in keeping the paths open for those. <laughs> That's the only management I did, but I would collect, I don't know, 50, 60 gallons a year off of those. And it was great <laughs> supplemental income for a 13-year-old, 11, 13-year-old. Fun fact. Yeah. If you ever times. go on a road trip with Ray, he does pull over for berry patches. So if it is on the public right away, if there are berries there, he will pull yes. over and you will pick them up. I had forgotten about that. <laughs> But uh, I will pull over. In fact, I wish I had a bumper sticker that said, we'll break for berries. Love it. Oh, my gosh. That's cute. Yeah, that was fun. And I will. I will stop if it's wild blackberries, Alexis. Yes, I had completely (laughs) forgotten. I believe that was land between the lakes. That was a good trip. Yeah, we But I will break for berries. But that's another great example of a non-timber forestry product. We rolled into a 
a thing and we were all like you know had the berry stained lips yeah. and fingers and stuff and everyone oh, was yeah, like where yeah. are lips you were stained with berries i mean people probably <laughs> thought we were, were like red yeah oh yeah and we rolled up and that stain just you know for reference that stain doesn't come off easy when you get those berry stains like you have to pretty much it's wear it off it's fine <laughs> it is it's good it, it is good stuff just another great example of an example of a non-temper forestry product yeah. and they're everywhere they're yeah. everywhere. Maybe we can expand on some of those, like in particular in the future. Mushrooms are fascinating. A lot of people have interest oh, yeah. in that. I've yeah. got a lot of friends who mushroom hunt and are, are experts in that. So maybe that's a maybe that's a future. Yeah, I would episode. love to hear more about that myself. I've never ventured out beyond like morels or, mm-hmm. or things that I'm cultivating, mm-hmm. you know, myself that I've it's you scary. Know, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't get too creative with that. I do, you know, hunt morels myself. And I grew my own shiitakes, but I that was a known quantity that I was had specific spawn for. But <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't get too creative on that. But just remember, non-timber forestry products. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the woods, and if you have a large uninterrupted wood lot or even a smaller wood lot, just kind of think of it in those terms. There's lots of stuff out there, folks. And if you're trying to have some supplemental income mm-hmm. or seasonal income. Uh, I used to work obviously a lot more with people that did that sort of thing. And, you know, things like honeybees, I even considered them honey, almost a non-timber forestry product because you could put those on the fringe of woods and in the Eastern part of the state, we've got this long history, this lore behind like Lynn honey or, you know, oh, all yeah. the, the different like honeys that we love, like uh-huh. black locust honey. And you would have these pure runs of this very light colored honey that was just so good. But even honey, I considered almost a, a very appropriate non-timber forestry product where I was at in the eastern part of the state. So lots of great examples of non-timber forestry products. Awesome. Well, we hope you enjoyed our little quickie episode. Uh, Maybe it made you curious. Uh, That's my hope is our episodes make you a little bit curious, learn something new, learn something fun that we are passionate about personally and hope to expand on in the future. Uh, So follow us uh, on Instagram at HortCulturePodcast. You can also leave us a review and you can shoot us an email if you're like, yes, Alexis, I want to hear Ray talk to me more about shiitake uh, production. So if you want to hear something like that, feel free to shoot us an email at HortCulturePodcast at l.uky.edu. That's in the show notes. We hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us and join us next time for another mini episode. Have a great day, y'all.